Coming to you from the front lines of America's fight for freedom, it's Matt and Brett Doster with America in View. What this world needs is people ready. So people ain't afraid to take a stand. What this world needs is a little more respect for the Lord and the law and the working man. We can use a little peace and satisfaction. Some good people up front to take the lead. A little less talk and a little more action. And a few more rednecks is what we need. Welcome back to another great show of American View with Matt and Brett Doster here in the capital city of the free state of Florida where we are waking the woke with truth, the Constitution, and a little redneck common sense. Matt, it's great to be back today. We had a great session last week talking about the crisis on the border. And this is a crisis that uh, for many years was thought of as only being something that affected the border states. But we've seen both in politics and policy over the last uh, several years, I would say three or four years at least, that large cities way beyond the border are being affected. And it's affecting fiscal policy. It's affecting um, national security policy. And it's certainly going to be affecting politics in the 2024 election cycle. Maybe the most dominant issue this cycle and maybe the most dominant issue that we've seen in the last 10 years. Um, I know we were talking with uh, Texas, uh, former Texas Land Commissioner George P. Bush last week. He was giving us some good perspective. But since we talked to him, we're, we're lucky and we'll be introducing him in a moment to have Representative Tom Fabricio with us because he's actually been out in Texas recently with the Florida State Guard. But uh, got some fresh polling numbers here, Matt, uh, from uh, one of our friends in the national polling industry. Now, this is a national trend line, and it shows that now illegal immigration is tied, essentially, with the inflation and with the economy as the number one issue in the country. And this cuts across all segments, not just Republicans, but also Democrats and MPAs. I'm surprised it's not the number one. What uh, what's the what are the numbers? So it is literally twenty seven twenty six. It's separated by just a hair's breadth. Okay, inflation and being the twenty seven. That is correct. That's right. Uh, but it's right there. And what the pollster is telling us is that they haven't seen something where there's been kind of a two-headed top-issue beast like this uh, again in the last ten to twelve years of uh, of their polling. So it's going to be fascinating to see how this sort of breaks down for us in the upcoming political environment. And it's interesting. You could say that with inflation, you've got government doing too much and with immigration government not doing enough. I would say not doing anything at all. Oh, yeah. (laughs) If we're talking about the federal government. Now, at the state, you know, government level, it's a completely different issue. That's a good segue. Yes, I agree. Which is why we are super pumped to have with us this morning, Representative Tom Fabricio. And Tom was elected in 2020. He's part of the 2020 class, and uh, he's currently the um, chairman of the Ethics and Elections and Open Government Committee in the State House. He's also, I think, uh, someone that we could uh, strongly recommend to the voters as a rising star. You should be paying attention to his career because he has been a dynamic force in just his uh, few short years in the legislature already on major policy changes. But he's known most recently for having joined the Florida State Guard, and we want to talk to him about that this morning. So, Tom, welcome, uh, and thank you for being on the show with us today. Oh, thank you guys so much for having me on. Really appreciate it. Tom's like a a three-headed monster here. He's State Guard, legislator, and a lawyer. 
I mean, he's he's got like a little piece of all the all the issues here, and a dad and a family. Yeah, <laughs> by by far the most important. I was about to say we need to make sure that uh, we recognize that Laura, his wife, is with us here in the studio, so she's going to keep Tom on track. Nikita is also here, his legislative aide, and everybody who uh, hangs out at the Capitol knows Nikita. He's become a legend down there. Um, Tom, just talking about the guard really quickly before we get into talking about immigration issues, because the guard recently had a mission out to Texas. And we'll chat about that in a moment. But um, talk to us about the State Guard. Uh, I guess this was something that was created back in the 1940s as a response to uh, the National Guard being called up to action in World War II. And uh, the governor reconstituted it back in 2022, correct? That's right. We, um, through, well, the legislature, uh, through statute, um, uh, revived the Florida State Guard. And um, the purpose of the Florida State Guard being a couple of things. Number one, Uh, We wanted to be able to have a volunteer force of folks who could provide and augment some of the services that are provided at the state level. But another reason, uh, very important reason, and it's uh, it's unfortunate in reality, uh, is because uh, the Florida National Guard, which we respect greatly and we admire and we rely on them and they provide a great service to both our nation and our state. Unfortunately, Congress has kept the Florida National Guard billets down extremely low. Mm. And the ratio in Florida uh, for guardsmen to Florida citizens is the lowest in the country. So we have a huge need for uh, guardsmen, uh, Florida National Guard, uh, because of the hurricane responses that are done here in Florida, as well as many other missions that they provide Mm -hmm. service to Floridians. Uh, Yet Congress has refused to increase those billets and f- that was one of the main reasons uh, why I supported the bill. Not only did I support the bill, I co-sponsored the bill uh, when we expanded the Florida State Guard from 500 billets to uh, 1,500. And um, and then I didn't only co-sponsor it, I signed up and went out and did a uh, 30-day boot camp, uh, Camp Blanding, and um, you know got trained up and um, been serving them since then. Rep. Fabrizio, when you say that Congress is keeping those billets down, is that a question of funding, like they're not providing, or does Congress actually somehow set the number of guards, national guardsmen that uh, Florida would have? My understanding is, and I haven't done a deep dive into that policy area, but my understanding is uh, there's both funding and actual setting of the number of billets. Okay. That's very interesting, and I, I know we're going to talk about state versus federal um, a little bit today. It's it's a fascinating topic that's kind of unique to our form of government. I think that you have these these two um, domains, so to speak. So currently then there are 1,500 billets in the Florida State Guard. Is that's that, right. Is that right? Okay. And Governor DeSantis is the commander-in-chief of, of the Florida State Guard. That's correct. And h- how much can you explain to us just as far as the, um, I don't know, the mission or sort of the description of what the purpose of the State Guard is? So the, the, um, the mission of the Florida State Guard uh, overall, it's a humanitarian mission. It's to be able to provide humanitarian assistance um, in in cases of emergencies within the state or uh, through the emergency multi-state compact uh, to our neighboring states if requested to be part of one of those so uh, in Florida, approaches. So in Florida, typically we'd be talking hurricanes, uh, th- those kind of natural disasters. I, I, my, and I'm going to talk to you from my perspective as a legislator. So my view of it is uh, specifically uh, hurricane responses, um, you know, a couple of years ago, we were having a lot of riots throughout the uh, throughout mm. the state um, to be able to augment and add manpower uh, to FDLE and other other law enforcement agencies. Um, those type of missions. 
Tom, it's it's been interesting to watch the reaction of the left whenever DeSantis uh, sort of made the move. And, of course, he had supporters in the <clears> legislature uh, who helped him to reconstitute the Guard. But if you recall, I'm sure you do because you probably had a few of these reporters calling you at the time, there was all these wild stories about, oh, DeSantis is such a despot. He's such a tyrant. He just wants to organize his own police force. But when I was looking at the list of other states that have National Guards already constituted, I see the Californians on the list, Vermont's on the list, Connecticut's on the list. These are deep blue states. Gavin Newsom is the uh, grand champion of the Democrat Party. He's the bluest of the blue. Exactly. So, uh, I mean, is that the answer is is essentially to say, look, these other states have them. We need it, too. Or is it it, uh, more specific to say, look, Florida has uh, specific needs that must be augmented. This is a a, uh, sort of a uh, opportunity for us to meet that need without having to depend on the federal government. No, that's right. So um, about 50% of the states have a state guard element, um, and they have varying missions, and they're made up in different ways. Um, Florida state guard is not uh, different from many of those other uh, state guards that you mentioned. Um, And it's, you know, there's a difference between a federal mission and a state mission. Mm -hmm. Um, There's, uh, you know, when it's only federal funds, or I'm sorry, when it's only state funds that are being used, um, the state gets to pick on how that state guard is operated in large part. Um, that's not to uh, say anything negative about General Haas, who's the, uh, the adjutant general of the Florida National Guard, who is a wonderful man, a great leader, an excellent uh, general for that organization. Um, but the Florida State Guard can have a, a mission that doesn't report up the chain. And in this case, it doesn't report up the chain to the Joe Biden administration. Mm. Got it. We're getting a little short on time on our first segment. Um, Rep. Fabrizio, can you just give us a quick, what what motivated you, what uh, made you want to serve in this way? So, um, yeah, uh, I'll, I'll put it this way. So um, when I told my wife that I had signed up for Florida State Guard and I said, hey, listen, I got selected and we have boot camp coming up. And, and she said, why do you want to do that? I was like, well, you know, I want to provide more service to the state. And she said, don't you think you already provide enough service to the state? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, look, I I... I believe in service. I believe in getting out there and uh, going out there and strapping on the boots and doing the hard work. It's not just about being in the office and uh, writing the bills. I think we need to, there are times where we need to go out there and do the work ourselves. That is uh, the true sign of a patriot's heart. We're in the studio today talking with Representative Tom Fabricio, who is not only a uh, legislator, a champion for the conservative cause, but a member of the Florida State Guard. Stay tuned as we talk about his recent mission to Texas with that Florida State Guard. Uh, on border issues. Don't go anywhere. America in View will be right back. Where men are men and their ladies just want to love them. It's Matt and Brett Doster with America in View. We're in the studio today talking with Representative Tom Fabricio, who is uh, one of my uh, favorite legislators for a lot of different reasons. But this guy has just got a servant's heart. He's got a patriot's heart. He's a conservative's conservative who's trying to serve his country and his state well. Uh, he's also a member of the Florida State Guard, uh, which has been newly reconstituted as of 2022, with a little bit of criticism uh, for Governor Ron DeSantis and the legislature when they did it, uh, talking about a sort of empire building, but it has gone on to do great service in the state of Florida in its short um, sort of resurrection. 
And now it has done a little bit of national service. And Representative Fabrizio, I want to turn to talking about that for a moment. There is a statutory provision that says that the Florida State Guard can be called up and used to provide support to other states. In that vein, Representative DeSantis recently uh, sent the Florida Guard or a contingent of them out to Texas to uh, assist with national security issues. And you were part of that admission. Tell us about that. Sure. The, um, the statute, when we enacted it, uh, generally makes the Florida State Guard um, tied to the state of Florida, which is correct, because these are state dollars that are being used um, to train and to uh, get these folks ready to go and to pay these folks uh, their uh, per diem. So generally, we are only in the state of Florida. However, uh, under the statute, through the um, multi-state emergency compact, if a governor of another state issues a state of emergency and calls for assistance, they, uh, the Florida State Guard can be responsive to that. And in this case, the, uh, the governor, uh, Ron DeSantis, issued an emergency order bringing in the activating the Florida State Guard and a full battalion of the Florida National Guard to go over out to Texas uh, to provide Governor Abbott's uh, assistance uh, with issues at the border. So Florida State Guard was activated under under that legal rubric, and um, and uh, the mission has begun out there to assist Texas in fortifying that um, that fence line and and assisting with um, with the different missions that are going to be handed out. Yeah, and I think we've been talking about the last few weeks. We've been talking about this uh, unique form of government that we have in America, where you have state governments, you have the federal government. And, uh, you know, I think in times past, we've we've um, had times of more cooperation and we've had times of less cooperation. And it's, you know, it's definitely shown itself on this immigration topic. Are there other uh, state guards or other state national guards out in Texas right now uh, under a similar system? From my understanding, uh, other states have answered Governor Abbott's request for assistance and are sending out either state guards or or, and or uh, their national guards to assist in fortifying uh, the uh, the fence line at and the border. Essentially boots on the ground, just helping do the work, helping helping put up fencing, helping monitor, uh, you know, all the above. That's right. So, right. And, and again, of course, I'm speaking on, uh, on behalf of, of myself as a legislator and not really on behalf of the state guard. But, um, you know, my view of that mission and my view of the validity of that mission is that, number one, uh, it's permit it's permitted under the statute as written. Number two, I think it's an important mission. I think it imp- I think the effects of what's happening, unfortunately, in Texas, um, are affecting us here in the state of Florida with human trafficking coming over I over the I ten corridor, um, with folks that come over that border and ultimately want to end up in South Florida and throughout the state of Florida. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, there is an economic direct economic impact to the state of Florida for the migrants that are coming over that fence line. We, we understand that there are, um, it's not mainly Mexicans, or it's not really Mexicans that are coming illegally across um, across the border, crossing the Rio Grande. We, we understand that there are uh, Venezuelans and uh, folks from all over the world, uh, uh, Chinese nationals and Syrians that are coming across that fence line. So there is a grave concern as to the human trafficking element and other other things that could be at play there. Um, beyond that, there's a concern, and um, you know, it looks like um, because of the federal policy of catch and release, um, the folks are just uh, blatantly coming across. They get, you know, they get caught, uh, processed to some degree, and then released. 
uh, they get released, from what I understand, with a $1,000 check. Or if, it com- if a family comes over, they can get up to a $10,000 check. From the federal government, From correct. the federal government, that's right. Yeah. And um, it, my view is that that, with the federal policy of catch and release, is fueling uh, folks to come into this country um, and not no, not only come to this country to look for you know things that we have here already, um, but looking to come to exploit that those checks and um, and for whatever else. Uh, we understand there's a heck of a lot of fentanyl and other drugs that are crossing the border and a lot of human trafficking. Mm-hmm. So it, it just um, personally, I'm just you know absolutely beside myself shocked that uh, we as a country would want to have these kind of open borders. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It, you know, Representative, it's interesting to sort of talk with people and hear what they're saying. I think everyone agrees. Uh, when I talk to uh, my most conservative friends and I talk to even some of my not-so-conservative friends, uh, they agree that at the end of the day, for a poor family looking for opportunity in America, that this is, this is a tale we've seen over and over and over again throughout history – of course, people want to come here. We are an immigrant nation. People want to come here for the ideas, the freedom, and the economic opportunity. But at this juncture in American history, we're being so overwhelmed, and there is so much lawlessness controlled by really, really evil people. Uh, some, we would even say, are being manipulated by foreign governments uh, at the border and then even beyond the border, that it has become a, a police and a national security crisis beyond control we were just talking about this last week. I can't imagine why the Democrats politically don't think they have a problem here. And when you see the rising poll numbers, does it surprise you that we can't just agree that the border needs to be controlled? Let's have a debate about immigration later on. But can at least we all agree that the integrity of America's border must be protected? Yeah, there's a um, a stark difference in position between the Democrats and the and the conservative Republicans on this issue. And, um, you know, I think any country, you look at any country around the world, uh, the integrity of their borders is paramount. Mm -hmm. Uh, If you go back to the Federalist Papers and you look at uh, the importance of keeping the borders, and that was one of the reasons, if you look at the Federalist Papers, of the formation of the federal government under the Constitution was so that we could have a unified border policy. And my view is that the Biden administration and, and Mallorca's view is that we do not – that our border policy is to allow all who show up to enter mm-hmm. the country. Mm-hmm. And that's not a border policy. That's a lack of a border policy, uh, especially in light of the fact that we know that there are criminal elements at play exploiting this. Yeah. You talked about I'm, – Matt, I'm going to jump in here again and just say you talk about the uh, challenges facing the state, right, even Florida with- – human trafficking and the fentanyl crisis, which we know is proven to be coming across the southern border. It still surprises me that in this poll that we got from our pals in uh, D.C., uh, that 20 percent of Democrats basically uh, believe there shouldn't be any border. Right. No border. It's mind-blowing. Uh, and, and we're talking about their kids and grandkids, I presume, and their small businesses as well. So uh, let me just ask you for one question, Matt, and then we'll get back into it as a follow-up. So, you know, when you're out sort of interacting uh, in Texas. I, I know you've got some limitations on being able to talk about your mission, but did you pick up on any mood from some of the uh, federal uh, agents out there, the, the interplay between the federal agents on the ground and the interplay between the, the state uh, guards 
was it congenial? Uh, did they all seem to be on the same page, or was there some of this animosity that we've heard about in some of the uh, news reports? I'll tell you um, from a, I guess from a high level, what I would say is that um, you know there are there's a unfortunate separation of views. My thought is on this, and again, just Tom Fabricio. My thought is that a good number of these folks that are working for the federal government in the Texas area are conservative like you and I are. However, mm-hmm. they have a job to do, and uh, they, their uh, guidance is coming from an administration that has a very different view from you and I on what border policy should be. Um, so that's where I'd leave that. And it's really crazy. I think we're used to feds and states disagreeing or maybe like Republicans and Democrats disagreeing. But it, it's usually like on a policy thing. You know, you might say, well, maybe Planned Parenthood gets funding when the Democrats are in charge and it doesn't get funding when the Republicans are in charge, something like this. But this is actual like operationally working against each other and it, it, with wire going up and wire being cut. It's really a strange place to be in America. That is a very strange place to be, um, creating a us versus them between the federal government and the state government. Um, I mean, we've had, uh, you know, divergent views on general federalism and certain preemptions and, um, you know, where state law ends and federal law begins. However, this is, um, you know, I wouldn't say there's a conflict, but I would say that there are two views. There's one a federal entity removing fence line, and there's a state entity um, maintaining fence line. Representative, uh, I'm going to hold you right there. Let's get into break. I want to talk about this conflict between federal and state in the third segment coming back. Stick with us. Bringing you right to the front line of liberal insanity. Watch out for that first step. It's a doozy. <laughs> and back again. America in View will be right back. Where we still don't understand the insanity of the woke. It's Matt and Brett Doster with America in View. All right, we're talking with Representative Tom Fabricio today about an issue that is at a crisis level for the country, I would say for the world, which is the American southern border crisis and the, and the lack of security thereof. Uh, we've got Representative Tom Fabricio here who's a member of the Florida State Guard and who was out in Texas recently as part of a mission that was directed by Governor Ron DeSantis to support Governor Greg Abbott, uh, a number of other states, uh, have been participating in that effort as well because we are seeing that the crisis in Texas is becoming not just their crisis but America's crisis. So as we talk about uh, this this morning, um, Representative, we were finishing off in the last segment talking about the conflict between the federal government and the state government. Now, shortly before you went out there, we saw a news report that uh, the Biden administration had directed the border security guys to begin cutting the razor wire and to stop supporting the Texas Guard or or stop allowing the Texas Guard to uh, infringe on their mission. And I thought it was interesting, Matt and I talked about this a lot uh, last week and maybe even the week before, that the union for the border guards sent out a public statement essentially rebuffing the president (laughs) and telling him that they stood with the Texas Guard. Now, I think that's dangerous. And here's why I think it's dangerous, because you've got a a president who's essentially directing our own national security forces not to enforce the border or enforce the law. 
And now you have a force that is ostensibly under the command of the commander-in-chief telling the commander-in-chief, no, both are dangerous. I mean, the abrogation of responsibility by the president is dangerous. The uh, disruption in the chain of command is dangerous on the other side. Are you see, were you seeing that type of tension out there in the state when you were there? That's interesting. I didn't know about the uh, the labor union for uh, the Border Patrol issuing that statement, but that rings in line with my read of the situation. Um, and uh, it's just, you know, look, I, would, I try to find um, silver linings here, um, or in this case it's not a silver lining at all, but it's a light at the end of the tunnel, and at least uh, hopefully – uh, I'm hopeful that uh, that this situation will end in November when we elect Donald Trump to be the president. Yeah, amen. The uh, the cartel. You keep hearing about the cartel. We hear about the cartel. We read about the cartel. And um, one of the things that just strikes me about this border policy, this leftist view that seems to dominate at the federal level, is this idea that that um, people who cross the border just kind of self-report their identity. They self-report their nationality. They self-report their situation and it seems to be the policy of the federal government to take to take your word for it to take their word for it um and one of the things that our guest last week said is like yeah the cartel knows what the right answers are and they train these people as it's basically a human smuggling operation um it may not be in the back of a van or under a tunnel like it has been in the past but it is still basically a smuggling operation they get trained up on how to answer the right questions um did you see cartel when you were out there like what what was that experience like well, I'll tell you this. So I understand that it, that's exactly correct, that uh, the cartel, uh, this is my understanding is that it's almost a wholly operated operation from the cartel. They're, the people who are coming across the uh, the Rio Grande aren't necessarily coming across on their own. I think they have to pay. I think the cartel has almost taken over that venue or that process. So folks who, um, who want to cross, it's like paying the troll under the bridge. Uh, the, the cartel is the troll under the bridge. If they, you want to get across the border illegally, effectively you have to pay their cartel to come across, uh, which are, the cartels are like like uh, like drug lords, basically. Mm-hmm. And in, and oftentimes they are also bringing drugs across the, the, uh, the border. Um, they are, my understanding, and from what I, you know, what I understand, the uh, the cartel operators are brazen because they understand the that the uh, United States federal policy is catch and release, and they tell uh, the people that are crossing the river uh, that not to worry because they will be released. And uh, you know, uh, as far as I'm not sure as far as how to answer questions, but I think they pretty much all get in, uh, all who are coming across, and the cartel is just out there, you know, brazenly photographing the other side of the line and sending scouts over to find uh, holes in the sea wire and, um, you know, just getting their folks across the, across the, the, uh, the Rio. Mm. So what you're effectively saying is, is that we do have border control, but it's being controlled by the cartels. That's right. Yeah. So we ended our discussion with, uh, something that, uh, or a topic of discussion that uh, was maybe in line with some comments that the governor made during one of his presidential debates. And I'm just interested to hear if you have any anecdotal evidence or response from some of the Texas guardsmen and things like no, no names, obviously. I'm just interested in the sentiment and the attitude. But uh, it would seem that if you had repeat offenders coming on your property, uh, people trespassing, 
people stealing, people taking advantage of your property, that at some point, a force is going to be used. And if you shoot a couple of these people, then that's going to send a signal to everyone else that they better not come on your property anymore or there's going to be consequences. Uh, the governor had said, Governor DeSantis said, hey, if I'm president of the United States, we're going to take out these cartels. We're going to reestablish American control of the border, not cartel control of the border, and we're going to use maximum force to do it. Is there that same sentiment with the Texas Guard out there? Is that same sentiment with some of the uh, guys you interacted with? Or is there still kind of this hesitance to maybe get more aggressive? Um, that's currently not the policy. Uh, the, uh, you know, they are, um, there's no, there's no, uh, use of force or aggression. Mm-hmm. Uh, the federal policy of catch and release is the policy. And, uh, you know, I don't know if other than, uh, setting up sea wire and, and fence line, uh, there's much else that can be done within the framework of the law. Uh, unfortunately, um, yeah. you know, I'm not suggesting that, uh, I'm not suggesting that uh, you know I would want one way or the other, but I would. I believe we need to we need to fortify the border. And the analogy that I've always relied on is, and I would I, I would um, challenge the Democrats, the 20% of the Democrats in this country who want to have wide open borders. I would ask them if they want to just take the doors off their houses mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. and just let whoever wants to come in and hang out in their house, they can come in and hang out in their house. They want to eat the food in the refrigerator, they can eat the food in the refrigerator. Um, you know that look. I, you know, I believe I'm a good Christian and I, I support my, my neighbors and I, you know, I, I help the needy, but, um, I do believe in protecting my family. Yeah. And we do have a respect for private property in this country. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. There's a, speaking of, I mean, just Christian, Christian charity, um, there's a principle when, when helping actually hurts, you know, a lot of, a lot of times things that are trumped up as saying like, Oh, we're, we're helping people. You're actually destabilizing things and, and right. making things worse by not having standards, by not having expectations. The analogy with the house is a perfect one. You know, it's like, do, do people really want things that are open or they just want it to be open for these states on the southern border that have to deal with the kind of the fallout and everything? I think they're just virtue signaling, to be honest with yeah. you. Yeah. And, and you know, some of the, we, we talked about this too, some of these flights um, or, or bus loads of migrants going to other places, people get criticized. Oh, that's a stunt. You know, they're trying to make light of things, but it's bringing home the point. Right. Anytime these, anytime these truckloads have shown up, the, you know, the sort of uh, silver spoon crowd, they get rid of them. They're like, that's well, right. you know, we'll, we'll let them, we'll, we'll ship those people off somewhere else. Uh, so it really does bring home that point and illustrate the issue. Let's shift to uh, politics for a second, Tom. I think this might be a uh, setup for the last segment because I really want to talk about eh, sort of the national politics. So we've we've got a we got a president who's completely abandoning his responsibility. Uh, we have an administration that appears to have abandoned their responsibility. The House took an interesting step this last week to impeach Mayorkas, the Secretary of the Department of Homeland Security. I'm just curious, uh, you know, as to what your thoughts are on that as a legislature. Um, is this a political stunt, or do you think that impeaching Mayorkas actually is going to do anything? Look, I don't know if there are going to be votes enough to actually be able to impeach him. Um, they were able to finally uh, start the process, I think, on the second vote, uh, and I think it was um, a very thin margin. I think it was one or two votes. Uh, yeah, one vote. Right. So I think it's a, a thin margin. I I don't I wouldn't count on it su- successfully coming all the way across. However, what I, what I would say is the big value of proceeding as they have done this far is that 
it brings about the conversation of the failings of the Biden administration and the job that Mayorkas has been doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's an, it's an important conversation to be had because the federal government has a job and uh, they are absolutely abrogating uh, their, their, their role in that position. Um, so I, I, I think it's important. I think we have the conversations. I think the witness, uh, they should have the testimony and they should examine uh, Mayorkas uh, and they should question him. Um, and it, whatever his testimony will be interesting. So whether we get the votes to get it done, I doubt that, uh, just realistically looking at uh, the makeup. But um, I think it's important to proceed. Yeah, it'll be interesting. Uh, imagine, feel free to jump in here. I think it'll personally be interesting if they were to proceed with some sort of, let's just call it trial, right, or some sort of action where they're calling him uh, out to some sort of testimony. If he would attempt to provide any kind of, uh, I don't know, uh, discussion on the actual viewpoints that he has related to the border, right now he seems very content to just say, we don't have a border crisis problem. And actually the border is secure. And I don't think anybody buys that, but he just keeps saying that over and over again. So it's like, what do you get? You know, I don't know. It's, uh, he's playing, they're playing the denial game, um, which it's fine. Um, you know, I've dealt with issues where the, the opponent on the issue has denied there being a problem until they're finally confronted with it and they, they admit to it. So I think there may be, uh, you know, I'm hopeful that uh, if he's questioned and if he denies, um, you know, uh, the members who are there uh, will question him and they'll show enough support to put him in a position where he has to admit that there is a massive crisis. Well, I certainly hope so. Stick with us as we get into the fourth segment. Uh, we're going to be continuing to talk about the political fallout from border from Biden's failed border policies. On the front lines fighting the insanity of the woke, America in View will be right back. Where universal truth and common sense reign supreme. It's Matt and Brent Doster with America in View. All right, we're with Representative Tom Fabricio today, who's uh, a member of the Florida State Guard. He was out in Texas in the last couple of weeks on a mission to help support Governor Greg Abbott. Uh, He was directed there by uh, Governor Ron DeSantis. As many other governors have been sent out or have been sending their state guards out to help with the border crisis in Texas. And now we're talking about sort of just the national politics related to the failure of the Biden administration to enforce the border and to stand up for American security. Uh, We were beginning to talk about the impeachment or potential impeachment of Secretary Mayorkas, who heads up the Department of Homeland Security. So let me just say this. Uh, I personally see this uh, representative as, as being more of a political stunt than a reality because I don't see this actually having the support in the Senate to be able to progress far enough to do anything about it. Uh, I also am a little skeptical about the, the uh, use of resources to impeach a secretary when the problem is with the commander-in-chief on this issue. Uh, now, so I want to I ask you about that. I, I do think there's some value that my orcas would be put in the hot seat to answer questions. Again, I think he would answer them the same way he already has. But uh, I was running this scenario past Matt earlier. If the Chinese, Chinese Communist uh, government, parked a battle carrier group off the coast of California, if they sent 
Chinese Marines, Chinese National Marines into Mexico and began to establish a beachhead and send little raiding parties up into San Diego in California. And the president basically said, after we saw these incursions and we saw the damage and we saw the raids that were happening, said, hey, listen, you know, don't believe what your eyes are seeing. Trust me, the border's secure. Would there be a reason at that point for the Congress to impeach because of dereliction of duty? I would say yes. And I, I think yeah. we're, we're pretty close to that right now with the president. I'm just interested in your thoughts. Yeah, it's, um, <clears throat> that's the Red Dawn scenario. Mm, yeah. That's, um, and I, yeah, that's, there would absolutely be, uh, and I think there would be a, a, a greater outcry. I think it's just a, a, a muted, um, and, and, you know, and God willing, we're wrong. God willing, all the uh, military age Chinese nationals that are coming across the, uh, the line, um, the border, and God willing, the Syrians that are coming across the border aren't uh, militants in the, some sort of sleeper cell. Um, but uh, it certainly is a scary situation to be in currently. And, um, yeah, God forbid we do uh, see ourselves in a Red Dawn situation. It's uh, just talking about the difference of mindset. It's just so stark that you have a leftist worldview that nobody ever lies if they're voting or if they're coming across the border, that you just take it on face value. But there's all this other host of activity that they demand accountability and scrutiny and identification and, you know, just the whole host, not to mention the illustration of the COVID era when, you know, you had to have documentation to go inside a restaurant or something like that, according to that worldview. Yet then they just open the border and say, well, everybody that crosses, we're going to believe exactly what they say about themselves. Yeah, it's um, it's a terrible position to be in. And uh, look, I, you know, I just kind of, I, I do believe that uh, the federal government is absolutely um, being negligent in not enforcing the law. I mean, the, the chief executive of this country his job is to execute the laws mm-hmm. that are in place. He has currently the executive authority to shut that border down. Yeah. Um, and he is not taking that position. So it is a scary proposition to be in. And again, the only good news that I see is that we have a light at the end of the tunnel, which is a November election. Yeah. Yeah. Which we continue to stress is not going to matter if we don't get people out to vote. Right. Uh, people have got to get out of vote. Now, I want to turn this uh, into a little bit of what I would call localized political discussion, Representative. Uh, you represent a more conservative district down in the Miami market. That's right. Um, and, uh, but, you know, anything in southeast Florida is what would technically be considered a swing district. Uh, it seems that people are finally connecting the dots, that NPAs and even – what we would refer to in the political world as soft Democrats, people who are willing to cross party lines and vote for Republican occasionally, are holding the Biden uh, administration responsible for fentanyl, for human trafficking, uh, for the increase in violence crime, uh, uh, violence in crime, e- even, even the increase in things like DUIs and traffic infractions with people who are here illegally, don't get driver's licenses or what have you. And are creating a chaos in the streets and in our neighborhoods. Are you seeing that in your district as well? Well, uh, like you mentioned, so uh, I represent uh, a district in northwest Miami-Dade County, which is predominantly Republican. Uh, it's conservative families, predominantly Cuban-Americans that um, understand what communism is. 
And um, I think we're in good shape, uh, at least in my district. Overall, I would say South Florida has a bigger picture. Um, my my sense is that um, that the Joe Biden administration has frustrated a lot of folks. Uh, a lot of folks are frustrated with the issues of inflation. A lot of folks are concerned uh, at the apparent senility of Joe Biden. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know... <laughs> The special uh, counsel report comes out saying that he's uh, unfortunately a forgetful old man, um, which is, you know, part of the circle of life. I mean, you know, as one gets to a certain age, uh, their faculties start diminishing. And, um, you know, he just his response to that was like, you know, an angry old man coming coming out and yelling, get off my lawn, basically. (laughs) So a lot of this and it's funny, but it's kind of sad and scary. Uh, but I think a lot of this is coming across, and um, I think a lot of Democrats are are moving away from him. I think uh, folks that are in the extreme progressive left uh, are displeased uh, with some of his policies because he hasn't been as progressive as he suggested he would be. Um, so I think he's losing some of that. So I think he's losing ground uh, on the left and on the, and, uh, and on the center, which, uh, which brought him to the white house. And I believe that a good number of the NPAs that voted for him, um, will be voting Republican this time. Do you think, is there a national security issue? So this, this, um, special investigators report or special counsel report has been useful politically, right? There's no denying that, um, kind of putting in black and white what a lot of people knew intuitively about the president, um, there is political value uh, to basically say the guy in charge isn't all there. Is there a national security risk the more we point that out? You know, are there do we have enemies, you think, that are um, provoked or challenged in some way to try to take advantage of, of somebody that they don't think is fully in charge? I'll go further than that. I'd say that we've had a, a national security risk from the moment Joe Biden took office and he and in the manner in which he removed troops from Afghanistan. Mm. I think that first absolute debacle, um, and I was on TV and on the radio talking about the potential consequences of that prior to him doing it. He said, he said, I think it was Feb- uh, February 8th of, of that year, he was going to remove the troops. And we had looked at it, and uh, uh, security experts had come back and said, there's no way that we can do this in a timely fashion and do it correctly. Uh, which is why Trump administration hadn't done it before when Trump had wanted to remove the troops, but he saw that uh, it was uh, a very difficult situation to remove them. And and Joe Biden went through there and he removed those troops and he caused a terrible debacle, leaving a lot of American assets and folks uh, at risk. And uh, I think that's one of the things that set off some of the events that have occurred since then, uh, which, in my humble view, have put us on the precipice of World War III. Tom, great thoughts. We want to really appreciate Representative Tom Fabricio for uh, being in the studio with us and sharing his thoughts. This guy is an American hero. He's a rising conservative, and I hope someday we will see Representative Fabricio in either the United States Congress who knows? Maybe even the governor's mansion someday. We got the hopefully first future first lady sitting right here in the studio with us. Uh, you guys have a great week, and remember, go vote. It doesn't matter if we don't defeat Joe Biden in November. Thank you all for another great show. Thank you all. Thanks for listening to America in View. For more information, go to AmericaInView.com.